Aaron Sorkin's The Trial of the Chicago 7 was originally made for Paramount Pictures, but then, with the pandemic, Paramount does what it usually does and sold it to Netflix. Paramount, in particular, loves to sell movies to Netflix for $56 million. I'd love to sell movies to Netflix, too, if they'd pay me that amount of money. And it opens in a handful of theaters, like a real handful of theaters, like very few theaters today, because of course theaters are still upset that Netflix won't adhere to the usual uh, theatrical window, so most theater chains won't play their films. But you can watch it on Netflix starting October 16th, but that's why the review embargo is lifting today. So obviously, the big question is, is this movie worth $56 million? Or did Paramount pull one over on Netflix? I mean, I doubt it costs that much to even make the movie, as the majority of the film actually takes place in a courtroom. You know, it's interesting, Aaron Sorkin just recently rewrote To Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway, did quite well. But this reminded me a lot of that. It's a, it's, you know, it's a very famous trial. I'm in fact gonna compare it to another famous trial, later in this review. Because To Kill a Mockingbird, while it deals with real-world things, issues, is not a real trial. It's a work of fiction. But this actually happened. It's going to be hard for you to believe that while watching this, but it did. Uh, there are brief flashbacks to the riots in question. Um, but, you know, it's, you can tell it's a very inexpensive movie to make. Uh, the Defendants, by the way, if you aren't familiar uh, with this film, or, I mean, I, I don't think anyone's familiar with the trial. They don't do a particularly good job of teaching this. But the Defendants are on trial for, the, for you know, they're being accused of conspiracy to cross state lines and commit violence uh, at the 1968 Democratic Convention. But we never see that convention or any of its attendees. It's just off in the distance, although they weren't allowed to, well, you'll see in the movie. So, I mean, that kind of makes sense, but it's an inexpensive movie. At the beginning, Sorkin does show some real life news footage, a nice little clip of Walter Cronkite. Uh, borrowing a page, by the way, though, from Spike Lee's recent films. I was like, Spike did it first! So I don't know if I would have done that because Spike's done it so memorably in Black Klansman and The Five Bloods. Uh, the Five Bloods, also on Netflix. Netflix, Netflix could have, be the only place it submits to the Oscars this year, and it would be an amazing, really tough competition. So yes, on that note, I do think this movie is worth $56 million because I think it's gonna be a major awards contender. I predict, I really do feel, I mean, let's see what else comes out, but I think this is gonna be a sleeper. I think it's gonna get nominations across the board. I don't know if it's gonna win any of them. We have to see again what else is out there, but it's gonna be it's going to be like one of those films where you're like, nominated for everything, because it's that good. What also is helping this film is the timing. The timing of this movie is insane. It addresses the right to protest, liberals versus conservatives with conservatives in power in the government, the fracturing of both liberals and conservatives within their own groups, and Black Lives Matter. I got to say, watching this, not only is the film strikingly powerful, but it's also real sad because many times while I was watching it, I felt like being like, hey guys, I'm from the future. And not only do we not remember any of what happened, even though it seems so important to you right now, we don't, uh, we don't know, even know what happened. But also, we've made pretty much no progress in the areas addressed here. And yeah, that's real sad. And while the movie is a potpourri of political topics, to me, the bottom line, which this movie gets across with astounding ability, like a punch to the gut, is the famous Edmund Burke quote, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. 
oh boy. And then he didn't even have to put it in the movie. He didn't have to put a title card up at the beginning or the end. It just, it just had that resonating. It was in the DNA of this movie. You were watching it. You were like, somebody do something. It was incredible, incredible. So who is Aaron Sorkin calling evil? Interestingly, he doesn't target conservatives overall. Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays, uh, for instance, and he does an excellent job as a highly principled prosecutor for the newly elected Nixon administration before anybody knew what they were dealing with. Although this, when you see this movie, there seem to be signs. Uh, but really, Aaron Sorkin is calling out people who are truly unreasonable and refuse to give any grounds on matter of principle. Their humanity be damned. And sadly, there are a lot of people like that, which you can see today. And you were, it was the exact same case back in 1968. Like it seems, things today seem so horrible and fractured, but it was just this way in the, in like the, the 70s, basically, the late 60s. Uh, it's incredible that we still, uh, as a country, haven't been able to come together. It's, it's you know, sad. Uh, again, humanity and empathy are so important. We don't have to agree. Ah, oh, it's so frustrating. All right, so anyway, the main villain in this film is Frank Langella's Judge Julius Hoffman, presiding over the most shocking excuse of a trial I've ever seen depicted in popular culture. I would call it a circus if the stakes weren't so horrifyingly high for those involved. Shocking, horrifying, unfortunately. I had a hard time coming up with adjectives to use in this review. I was like, I can't use horrifying, I've already just used it. But you know what? This is a true story that's all of those things. And that's, how, that's the only way to describe it. And it should, it should never have been wiped from history as it has been. This should be up there with the Scopes trial where Clarence Darrow argued the case for human evolution back in 1925. This is arguing the right to protest. Uh, you know, because, uh, you know, they're on trial. You'll see. You'll see. You'll see. I don't want to give anything away. The movie peels back the layers really, really well. So back to Langella. This is the best portrayal of a personified version of the system and how it can warp those in power since Nurse Ratched and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And she won the Oscar, and I wouldn't be surprised if Langella wins the Oscar too. Nurse Ratched! I'm not kidding. Langella's performance is that good. It was an incredible thing to watch. The, the bravery of him to take a role of someone who is so despicable and disgusting and to do, give it the layers that he does, where that person doesn't even realize they're that despicable, is incredible to watch. He disgusts everyone in that courtroom, but they, can, they can't do anything because he's the judge. It's fascinating to watch. I, I, mean, thank, I mean, they didn't have Twitter back then. Uh, apparently... Uh, I called my parents after I watched this, and I was like, well, I haven't ever heard of this. Did you hear this? And they're like, oh, yeah, it was a real big thing at the time. And I was like, what? And they said, oh, yeah, it's in all the papers. I can't believe this guy wasn't pulled off for being totally incompetent and, like, n insane. Um, it's crazy. It's just absolutely nuts. Uh, they give you a little bit of, like, what happens afterwards at the end of the movie, like they usually do with the little title cards, which were shockingly hard to read. I was like... Put some shading and shadowing on that, man. Some of the letters are blurring out with the background. Uh, but I think they could have done more. You'll be on Wikipedia after you watch this movie. I sure was. So Frank Langella is amazing in a sea of fabulous performances. That, but to me, the standouts besides Langella are Sasha Baron Cohen, who is damn such a good actor. He's such a good actor. I hope he finally gets recognition for being a good actor. I've known it since I saw The Spy uh, on Netflix which was amazing. That was such a good show, and he blew me away there, and here he's even better. Uh, and Jeremy Strong, 
Total 180 from Kendall Roy. You won't believe it's the same guy from Succession. He is hilarious in this movie. He and Sasha Baron Cohen make for such a fabulous comedic duo, I would watch a whole movie of just the two of them. They were just lightning in a bottle. They were so good together. Once again, Mark Rylance gives an incredibly nuanced performance as, a fa- as famed ACLU lawyer, William Kunstler, who I have to look at his name here in the notes to make sure I get it right, because I never heard of him before, which is ridiculous. Uh, and, uh, and you might be like, well, that's on you, Grace. I, I got it. I'm, you know, I'm very thankful to my parents. I got a good education. I should know this stuff. And Yahya Abdul-Mateen II that man is on a roll. Wow, he just won an Emmy. He might, I think he's going to get some nominations for this. His role, you have to see it. I'm not going to ruin it for you. I'm not going to ruin one second of it because every minute of it is fire. There are not a lot of minutes, but everything is amazing. And rem- I want you to remember while you watch this, it really happened. That is just incredible that it really happened. And then we don't really hear about it. As, as I said, it's a small role, but I think... I think he has a very strong case to be nominated as well. Everyone, though, is just incredible. Eddie Redmayne does a great job. I love his accent here. I'm like, wow, you sound great. Uh, John Carroll Lynch, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Michael Keaton in an impressive cameo. I was like, oh, Keaton, you still got it. You still got it. As for Aaron Sorkin, he's still a writer and not a director. This is the second film he's ever directed, and he still has, you know, you can be a writer-director. Many people are. But the thing is, when you finish the script, you put on your director hat, and you treat the writer version of you as a different entity. And Aaron Sorkin still can't do that. He plants the camera down, and he's like, okay, now say my wonderful lines. I mean, they are wonderful, even if the first 20 minutes of the movie or so are overwritten. I'm like, whoa, where's, the, where's my red pen, Aaron? He should have red penned himself as the director. I mean, a good director would have realized that the first 20 minutes were overwritten. But I, in Aaron Sorkin's defense... I sure did learn a lot. I I did learn a lot watching this. But Sorkin's overall script is so good, it's impossible for even him to mess it up. And while visually he's only serviceable as a director, I mean, it's directed, it's not badly directed, but it's it's not directed really well. The directing is not the level of the writing, or the acting. And to be fair, Aaron Sorkin, as the director, did get those mind blowing performances out of his actors. Oh, so good. Finally, some of you might be like, whatever, Grace. I don't want to watch this movie because I feel it's going to be overly political and I don't want to be preached to. Well, I'm happy to tell you that there ain't nobody in this movie preaching to anyone. They're just telling facts and showing you stuff and pointing out things you might not have been aware of. I implore you to watch this. Please watch it. And don't turn it off. Watch it all the way through. It's only two hours, one time. Please do it. It's always important to understand where the other side is coming from. And this film does the best job I've ever seen of humanizing protesters and showing them as just as flawed, uh, hopeful people as everyone else. It's it's amazing. It's really, really strong stuff. It also makes a really strong case for police reform. And I think it also points out, it also points out, this film is so good, that a lot of the blame lies with the government leaders who pit police and protesters against each other rather than creating a safe space for protesters to be heard and seen. for really nefarious reasons. It's horrible. And I think that instead of protesters and police fighting each other, I think they should all turn their attention on local government and uh, federal government who are doing this rather than, you know, addressing the issues. They're, they're distracting people with the fights between the police and the protesters when the real issue is that they create, they, these government officials created the, the conflict because it didn't need to happen. It's bad. But this movie points it out, and that's good. It also points out the necessity of leadership in political movements. So important in this, in this movie, as you can see. 
Uh, and I think it becomes clear that lack of leadership is really hurting today's political movements. People need to step up. And maybe watching this movie, they'll be inspired to do so. So that's my review of the trial of the Chicago 7. I thought it would be good, but it was even better than I thought it was going to be. It's great. It's a movie that everyone should see. And since it's going to be on Netflix, you have no excuse not to watch it. You've got to watch it. It's really, really good stuff. All right, so share your thoughts down below. Subscribe today. And of course, as always, you can check out some more videos right now.